Welcome to the Life of Christ, Series 3, Term 1. This is Lesson 9. We are in John Chapter 4, and we were up to verse 5. What I'd like to do is begin by reading in John Chapter 4 and verse 1, and just work our way to where we left off. So, let's begin today in John Chapter 4, verse 1, where it says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though he himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. Verse 5 it says, So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, just quickly, John MacArthur says that the town Sychar is probably identified with the modern village of Eskar on the shoulder of Mount Ebal. That was the Mount of Curse. It was opposite to Mount Gerizim, which was the Mountain of Blessing. A continuous line of tradition identifies Jacob's well as lying about one half mile south of Eskar. Also in his commentary, D.A. Carson also tells us that when the Israelites conquered and settled Canaan, they brought with them out of Egypt the bones of their ancestor Joseph and buried them at Shechem in the tract of land that Jacob brought for a hundred pieces of silver from the sons of Hamar, the father of Shechem. This became the inheritance of Joseph's descendants, and in fact, Joseph's tomb lies but a few hundred yards northwest of Jacob's well. I'm giving you just some history right now, so I'm going through this quickly. Is that okay? All right. That's where the next verse goes in to say, now Jacob's well was there. That was in John 4, 6, the first part. Now, D.A. Carson says that it is often pointed out that the word for well in this verse refers to a running spring. However, in verses 11 and 12, the word means a cistern or dug out well. Jacob's well is both. It was dug out, but it is fed by an underground spring that is remarkably reliable to this day. Okay, so just a little bit of history and geography there for you. John 4, 6, the second part of verse 6. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. I want you to notice two things. From here, we'll slow down. <laughs> okay? Not only does the Apostle John inform us of Christ's divine nature, that he was all God at the beginning of his gospel, that's in John 1, 1 and 1, 14, but here he also reveals to us his human nature as well. That he was all man, getting tired, hungry, that's in Matthew 4, 2, and even thirsty. That's in John 4, 7. Amen? Now, I want to stop there for just a minute. It is important that we understand that Jesus, as much as he was all God, that he was in a human form. And in his human form, he did get hungry, he did get thirsty. The reason I'm bringing this out is there were some people that said that Jesus didn't really walk around in a human body. He, if he was all God, then he would have nothing to do with anything fleshly. Right? And other people go the other extreme and say, oh, no, no, he was just a man. Okay? And just a good man, a prophet, and all those things. And he wasn't God. Alright? But the Apostle John, in writing his gospel, informs us that he was all God and he was all man. Okay? So he could turn water into wine, which is in John's gospel. No other gospel has that. Okay? Without a word spoken, he turns water into wine. That's pretty incredible. 
Okay, and then at the same time, he now tells us that he does get tired, he does get thirsty, and that there is a human side to him as well. Okay. Following this, it goes on to say at the end of verse 6 and the beginning of verse 7, it was about the sixth hour or about noon, beginning the count about sunrise. So they actually start their count at sunrise. So it was about the sixth hour, okay, that's about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Okay, now this is where we want to get to. This is what's important to us. All right, in relation to this, in his commentary, Leon Morris says that the sixth hour is noon on our reckoning, which seems an unusual time for a woman to be drawing water. Sunset seems to have been the favored hour, but the woman had a bad reputation. And the explanation may be very simple. She chose the time and the place to avoid other women. Okay? I want to read some of these commentaries to you before we actually talk about this. D.A. Carson agrees, and he writes, The woman came to the well alone. Possibly the woman's public shame contributed to her isolation. The connection between verse 7 and the parenthetical explanation of verse 8, that his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food, suggests that normally Jesus' disciples would have helped him draw water. But their absence prompted Jesus to breach social custom and ask the Samaritan woman for a drink. And so it goes in the saying, John chapter 4, verse 7, And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Let me continue reading, because I have covered a lot of the things in the quotes that I have. I'll get to a certain place, I'll stop and I'll talk to you. Is that okay? It's okay. So again, here we find that Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Now what is so unusual about this, is that this was a male Jew talking to a Samaritan woman. With Leon Morris explaining that from the point of view of the Orthodox Jew... There were three strikes against her. First, she was a Samaritan. Number two, she was a woman. And number three, we're going to soon find out that she was a sexual sinner. Okay, but as John MacArthur points out, important is the fact that this chapter demonstrates Jesus' love and understanding of people. His love for mankind involved no boundaries. For he lovingly and compassionately reached out to a woman who was a social outcast. In contrast to the limitations of human love, Christ exhibits the character of divine love that is indiscriminate and all-encompassing. Amen. God so loved the world. Amen. That's why John 3.16 is mentioned there. To all this, D.A. Carson adds, John may have intended a contrast between the woman of this narrative and the man Nicodemus of chapter 3. He, that's Nicodemus, was learned, powerful, respected, of high moral standing, orthodox, theologically trained. She was unschooled, without influence, despised of low repute, capable only of folk religion. He was a man, a Jew, a ruler. Talking about Nicodemus. She was a woman, a Samaritan, a moral outcast. Both needed Jesus. And what's astounding is that the Lord pr proves Himself able to save both. Let's stop there. Now I can talk to you. All right. <laughs> what we're seeing here and what is being explained here is, first of all, we see a woman coming to the well at a very unusual hour. Okay, so it's in the afternoon. This is when it's hot. The reason that the woman would come 
later on in the day is because it was a cooler time to carry water. Do you understand? So it wasn't such a difficult task. The other thing is that what we're seeing now is an interaction between Jesus and this woman. Now, notice that it is the Gospel of John. Okay, John is trying to let his audience know that Jesus Christ was God. He was all God. He was all man. All right? He knew all things about people. He was able to turn water into wine without saying a word, which is really interesting. All the other Gospels has him saying something, and then something happens. This Gospel tells us of an incident that that's not the case. So it shows us an ability that we don't really fathom and grasp about Jesus still. It's important that we understand that the level that we aspire to right now is to be able to speak and see something happen. We do something and we expect a reaction. There is a, there is a place where as you move through that, now don't try to do this before you, you know, get the first one working, but obviously there is a place where your mere thoughts can actually have an effect on things. We are already showed that, or shown that, in some of the scientific experiments that were taking place at one stage, that showed that there were certain people, just their thoughts altered the radioactive decay rate of certain elements. Just their thinking. They didn't say anything, just their thinking did that. Okay? So there is a place where our thinking can get to where it affects things. I believe it's already happening now in a negative way. The, the places where there is a lot of evil and a lot of evil thought going on in people's minds and hearts are causing all kinds of disasters to take place in certain regions. I've also heard of people, now I don't know about this as far as uh, just thinking goes, but I know that there are other places and regions where godly people have settled and a place has just started to change just because those people are there. All right? So that, that, is, that is going on, but it's not happening uh, on a, an individual basis. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, so if there's a group of us, it seems to show up. These signs will follow those who believe. The signs are all kinds of things. Okay, now the, the Bible lists, you know, speaking in tongues and drinking deadly things and not being hurt and everything else. But there are all sorts of other signs. You just need to look at your life and see what kind of signs are turning up in your life. Because you're a believer. Okay? You know, people turn up with things at your doorstep or just things go right for you when, they, when it's going wrong for everybody else. Just there are signs that follow. Amen? And I believe that we are moving towards something that is extraordinary and something in time. And that's, that, I believe that's what the glorious church is. Where we'll start to not only speak things, but we'll start to think things and they'll start happening. Amen? Amen? And we're moving towards that, and we need to move towards that. But we need to understand that. But let me get back to this. We're, we're looking, we're seeing something about Jesus here. That was a tangent. Okay, that's for you. Right. But we're seeing something about Jesus here, and I want you to get a hold of this. Jesus can communicate on any level. Alright, so what we are going to find now is, in the same gospel, we see an incident with Jesus speaking to a very religious man. And... His conversation with that man 
is such that he astounds that man. He challenges everything that that man knew. That man believed, Nicodemus believed, that doing good would get you into heaven. Jesus said, all the good you do will not get you there. You need to be born again. Threw Nicodemus just right out there. He goes, what happened there? I don't know what that is. <laughs> okay? And even though the Old Testament had spoken of getting a new heart, a new spirit being put in you and so on. I think it was in Ezekiel or someplace. And which he should have known. Okay? But Jesus was bringing stuff out. So Jesus was able to talk about things in the Bible that were extraordinary to a person like Nicodemus. Alright? And really challenge his belief system, basically. Alright? Now he comes to a woman at the world. She doesn't know anything from anything. So how do you talk to this person? See, sometimes we're just good at communicating one thing. I need you to get what I'm about to say. All right? We need to see what is important when we're dealing with the world. When we're dealing with religious people, we need to know our Bible. When we're dealing with the world, what do we need to know? Let's see. I want you to think about that as we progress through this now, okay? Alright, so continuing on, it goes on again to explain why Jesus asked this woman for water. With John chapter 4 and verse 8 saying, For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Now what's interesting is that John MacArthur says that this verse indicates that since Jesus and his disciples were willing to purchase food from Samaritans, interesting, they did not follow some of the self-imposed regulations of stricter Jews, who would have been unwilling to eat food handled by outcast Samaritans. Alright? Now that's quite important as well. We, we are seeing Jesus break from tradition. He's breaking from religious ideology. Alright? Because some people can get so religious, even today in church, it gets this way. But that wasn't the case with Jesus nor His disciples. Alright? They were okay with the Samaritans' food. With verse 9 going on to say, Then the, the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Just give me one second. I, I need to share something with you. In the point that was made on verse 8, what we find from there is that if the disciples were willing to go and buy food from the Samaritans, it means that Jesus has had a word to them. Jesus has said to them, it's okay. Do you understand? Now, that's important because otherwise, I, I'm sure some of the disciples would have said, oh, there's Samaritan food. You know, that's not a good thing. We've heard, don't touch that stuff. So Jesus must be retraining His disciples to think differently. Amen? And the point I want to make here as well is, as the leader goes, so do all the followers. Okay? The leader can lead the people into... Good things or bad things? Into victory or defeat? You need to see some of these things. That Jesus must have been having an influence on them. That they are beginning to think differently. Amen? Alright, so then the, the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it? Now she's asking this question. This is, this is a major question. We're going to look at everything she says here. Okay? How is it that you, being a Jew... Okay, so first of all, she says, I identify you as a Jew. I understand you as you being a Jew, alright? Ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman. She didn't say just a Samaritan. Okay? She says a Samaritan woman. For Jews 
have no dealings with Samaritans. All right. Now, first of all, William Hendrickson explains that this last phrase should be more accurately translated for the Jews do not use vessels together with Samaritans. Because according to Pharisaic interpretation of the law of purity, this is the Pharisaic interpretation. This is not what God said. Okay? In Leviticus 15, Jews and Samaritans were not allowed to use drinking vessels together. Dear God, another law they came up with. Okay? All right. It is for this reason that this woman, realizing that Jesus will have to use her pitcher, is greatly surprised and perhaps also somewhat pleased that this Jew addressed her and is willing to drink from her pitcher. Okay, so she's looking at him and thinking, oh, this is really interesting. He's talking to me and he's willing to use my unclean vessels. I'm sure she's thinking, I wonder if he knows about me. Okay, see, she knows what she's done, but she doesn't know that he knows what she's done. Okay, because had he had any idea that she knew that he knew about her past, he would not be asking her at all. Forget Samaritan, forget woman, I don't know where you've been. Hello. Okay, (laughs) right, okay. All right. One more thing. To give us further insight into the, into the prejudice that existed between Jews and Samaritans. This is good. Listen to this. D.A. Carson writes, many, of a Jew, many a Jew would not eat with Samaritans for fear of defilement. This fear was intensified when the Samaritan was a woman. Within a generation, Jewish leaders would codify a law, this is that law there, Mishnah Nida 4.1, okay, that stated all the daughters of the Samaritans are menstruants from their cradle. Can you believe this? Can you believe this? Just because you say it doesn't make it so. Are you all, amen? This is just ridiculous, all right? And therefore, perpetually in a state of ceremonial uncleanness. Now we see this with regard to the woman with the issue of blood. Okay, she was unclean basically all the time because her blood would never dry up. Okay? Now, now these Jews have the audacity to say, oh, they're Samaritans. Samaritan women, they're like that the whole time. From the cradle, from the day they're born. That is, are you beginning to see something happening here? Are you beginning to see how religion has crept in? All right, and man-made laws now are starting to come into a place where what God is saying is no longer what is being practiced. It is what man is coming up with. That's why Jesus is going to have so much trouble with the Jews because of all of these stupid laws that have come in that have nothing to do with God, but which they think has everything to do with God. And they're going to think that they're defending God for all of what they do in coming against Jesus. And that's what's going to be so ironic. Is that the word? Okay, alright. So, the Samaritan's woman's surprise is therefore entirely understandable. Jesus was a Jew. And she was both a Samaritan and a woman. And at, at this point, the woman cannot fathom what would possess a Jew to ask her for a drink. She does not know that far from being defiled by what is unclean. Listen to this now. Jesus sanctifies what he touches. Others who touch lepers become unclean. Jesus touches a leper and brings healing. A religious 
male Jewish aristocrat like Nicodemus or an untrained female Samaritan peasant who had made a mess of her life, Jesus converses frankly with both and happily breaks social and religious taboos to do so. What we are seeing here and what I want you to understand from everything I've read is this. We need to come to the place where we are walking by faith to such a degree that we are not concerned about becoming unclean when we touch something. We understand when we touch something, if it's unclean, it will become clean. Faith turns unclean to clean. Fear stays away from everything because it's afraid of becoming unclean. Do you understand? This is where Jesus and the Jews were so different. They didn't want to touch touch anything unclean because they didn't want to become unclean. Jesus is looking to cleanse things. He's looking for unclean. In fact, he was going to say at one point in time, it's not the well people that need a doctor, it's the sick people. It's the unclean that need to be clean. Amen? You clean people can hang by yourselves, but the whole point of the gospel was to take it out to an unclean world. And to make it clean, not to condemn it for being unclean, For God did not send His Son to condemn the world, but to save it. Do you get it? Okay. He is here to cleanse everything. So while the Jews are running and hiding from everything, because it's all unclean, Jesus is coming out and saying, All of you who are unclean, come, I'll heal you. I'll cleanse you. I'll get rid of demons in you. I'll touch whatever is unclean and make it clean. Just come. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. And we as disciples of Jesus need to have that same mentality. What am I saying? We have to learn to become less and less prejudiced. That doesn't mean we become permissible. Like we're not saying, oh, it's okay for you, it's okay for me. We need to understand that there are things that are not good. But we are there to make a difference. Not to judge, to make a difference. Amen? So when you find out about somebody's uncleanness, don't judge it. Cleanse it. How? Talk to them. Amen? And help them through it. Because Jesus is about to do that with this woman. He could have stood back and judged her on so many points. And yet He's not going to do that. Amen? And we need to see that. Let's, Let's continue. Verse 10. It goes on to say there, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Hendrickson says that the riddle-like character of the saying, this is another mashal, okay, causes reflection and wonderment. It will make the woman ask questions. And that is exactly what Jesus wants. It is the first step to evangelism. See what he's doing? He is going to throw something at her to get her talking. That's the first step. Because when you come up against the world, they won't want to know about religion. If he started saying, Well now, woman of Samaria, you need to be born again. Now listen to me, I'm making a point. Catch this, I only have a few minutes before we shut this session down. Get this. Get what he didn't do to her. This is what people normally do when they meet people on the street. Would you like to be born again? 
No? Okay. And the people are walking going, what is that? These are Looney Tunes. What is born again anyway? It's one of them born again nuts. See, Jesus didn't do that with this woman. He's the one that started it. Hear me. But He only did it with someone that would understand what was going on or had a chance of understanding that would ask questions enough for Him to answer them. Amen. And you know, Nicodemus, I believe, became a disciple of Jesus in his own way. Because we're going to catch up with him later on and he's going to have a big part to play in in looking after Jesus, his body, all sorts of things. Anyway, so he had an impact on that man. He used the term born again. He's not going to use that term with this woman. This was not a term that he said, oh, I like that term, let's use it again. Oh, look, there's a woman. (laughs) Boy, does she need to get born again. Now, does she need to get born again? Absolutely, she needs to get born again. But isn't it interesting? As far as Jesus was concerned, the religious person needed it as much as this Samaritan woman. Isn't that interesting? just want to make some of these points as we go on. In fact, William MacDonald goes on to say that by asking a favor, the Lord has stirred her interest and curiosity. He now arouses them still further by speaking of himself as being both God and man. He was first of all the gift of God, the one God gave to be the Savior of the world, His only begotten Son, but He was also a man, the one who wearied with His journey, asked her for a drink. So it's interesting, isn't it? He brings out two things here. If you knew the gift of God, remember John 4.10 again, Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, give me a drink. Now, isn't that interesting? So he puts two things there. First of all, he says, I'm from God. Okay? Number two, he says, I'm I'm thirsty. (laughs) Okay? So God's thirsty, you know what I'm trying to say? Okay? He's bringing both the deity and his humanity all in one sentence. But he was also a man. The one who, wearied from his journey, asked her for a drink. In other words, if she had realized that the one to whom she was talking was God manifest in the flesh, she would have asked Him for a blessing. And He would have given her living water. Amen? Amen. Okay, we're going to have to stop there because this this goes on now and it's going to get into some very interesting things. We'll take a break, we'll come back and pick up right there and we'll discuss this phrase, living water. Take a break.